Hi, I'm Dee Dee Bass Wilbon. I'm Dina Bass Williams, and we are the Bass Sisters. And this is Policy and Pound Cake. And today we have a special treat for you. We're talking to one of the nation's leading advocates for life, Dean Nelson. He is the founder of the Douglas Leadership Institute. Yes. And um, as long as we've known Dean, we have been so excited about the work that he does to champion life. life. We love life, and so does Dean. So listen up. Dean Nelson, we are so excited to have you. Dean is a good friend of ours. Yes, Dean's a good friend, a mighty man of God who has, we, I can't remember how long we've known Dean, but from the beginning, mm -hmm. he's just felt like family, a brother, totally. love Dean and Julia and just um, celebrate everything, everything. That, that you do. So Dean, we know that Dean and I, we have been pro-lifers all our lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, we that's just who we are. And so when Roe was overturned, we I'm kind of embarrassed to say it out loud, but I honestly never thought that it would happen. We were just we like, were fighting the good fight, but we and I, I too am embarrassed. Like we were fighting the good fight, but we just didn't think like as Christians, I'm as a Christian, I'm even embarrassed that yes. I just didn't have the faith. And now here we are. Now that it's overturned. How do you see post row the fight? How do you see things going now? Wow. Well, number one, I will say and agree with you. Uh, it was a little bit, this might not be the best analogy, but it was a little bit like the dog catching the car, right? I mean, it's okay. like, oh, wait, um, <laughs> now that this has happened. <laughs> what, what? So even though there are people who were uh, somewhat prepared, I think most in the pro-life movement were not fully prepared. And I think many of us are still trying to figure out what, you know, what this means, because essentially it has made it like 50 different smaller battles. Um, and some of those battles have uh, already, you know, been won uh, in a small, you know, number of states uh, like Oklahoma and some would argue, uh, you know, in Texas, but even being able to say, hey, look, we have limited abortion to, uh, you know, you know, prior to six weeks, or we've eliminated it, eliminated it, you know, completely. Um, there's still important information for people to know that like 75% of the country still uh, has abortion on demand. And wow. we have some states like um, uh, Michigan that, that, you know, the opposition, the uh, abortion forces uh, spent um, on a, some estimates over $50 million dollars to get uh, a ballot initiative on, uh, you know, <clears throat> on the ballot last cycle, and now that's actually passed. So uh, we have some very, very bad uh, pro-life, uh, well, we'll just say they're, they're pro-abortion laws that are now on the books uh, in states like, uh, like Michigan. So there mm -hmm. are lots of uh, challenges, uh, and so we're kind of like looking at them state by state. And um, there are a lot of different approaches, but one of the main things that for pro-lifers for us is to continue to pray. Um, secondly, to know that there are uh, solutions like pregnancy resource centers, the work that we do at Human Coalition through our telecare type programs to engage with women seeking abortions because a uh, little known fact is, you know, 76% of women who are seeking abortions say that they would choose to parent if their circumstances were different. And so that's part of the, the model that we use at Human Coalition. If we know that that stat is true and we've engaged with hundreds of thousands of women seeking abortions over the last decade, if we know that that's true, 
how do we then effectively engage with them and connect them with services that exist to help them overcome the challenge that they are facing? So there's a lot of work to still be done. Uh, I mean, I'm glad that some estimates show, I think Susan B. Anthony List reported that uh, it's estimated that 200,000 uh, babies will be saved uh, a year as a result of Roe being overturned. So look, that's not a small thing. That's a big thing. But at the same time, uh, the pro-abortion uh, forces are not going to stop. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Planned Parenthood themselves, you know, is uh, you know, $1.7 billion with almost $2 billion in assets. They're not going to stop. This is a business model for them. Right. Dean, so you mentioned the, um, the pregnancy centers mm -hmm. and there are other organizations that are trying to support um, moms and families as well. But we've also seen a lot of attacks on pro-life organizations. Right. Why has this not made more headlines? We, you know, we know that you've written about it. We've seen it in World Mag and you know, some of the pieces that you've written about your organization certainly talk about it. But what kinds of organizations are being attacked and why do you think there has been almost radio silence from mainstream media on these issues? Yeah, uh, man. I mean, I think number one, most of the time, if it doesn't fit their narrative, they're not going to they're not going to cover it, right? So, um, mainstream media, and I've seen reports, and you guys might know better. I mean, when you when you poll most of the journalists, you know, in the country, most of them tend to be uh, pro-abortion, and they tend to be center left. And so, I think that that's part of the reason uh, that we haven't seen it, but. Um, grateful for some of the outlets that have highlighted the fact, I mean, at some estimates, there have been over 180 attacks on either pregnancy resource centers, uh, churches. Uh, some of them are, are black churches. Some of them are white churches. Some of them are Catholic churches. Some of them are Protestant churches. Um, some uh, other pro-life organizations, some family policy councils that have been attacked and bombed. Even one of my uh, own personal friends, um, uh, actually someone who has simply recently passed away, but Pastor Herb Lusk, who had a, uh, a pregnancy center right in downtown Philly on Broad Street, uh, their center was, uh, was attacked and vandalized twice. And, you know, the reality is, is that this quote unquote Jane's revenge is not even, I don't even know if it's, uh, if it's, if there's a strategy behind it, because I did see reports that um, somebody attacked of all places, uh, Raphael Warnock's church uh, with, in, with graffiti saying, you know, Jane's Revenge. Basically, it was a pro-abortion group that attacked his church. I mean, like, why would you attack, you know, Ebenezer, uh, a historic church that is pastored by a hugely pro-abortion, you know, pastor? So I'm not even sure of the rhyme or reason to some of the stuff that they're doing. But the fact remains that not a lot has been done by the Justice Department, not a lot has been done by the media covering much of these attacks throughout last year. Dean, we live in a, a world where everyone has a phone, everyone has, you know, their Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you name it. They have it on their phone, That's which their is platform. their platform is always on their person. How can we use our social media? We're taking, you find people taking video and pictures of of people, you know, doing all sorts of things and sharing it on their social media. How can we encourage people to do that when they hear about, because these attacks, you said 180, I think, mm -hmm. right? So there are right. neighborhoods, there are places where people live and where families are. How can we encourage people to 
use their social media to share what they see in their neighborhoods. Because we want the meat, like I want the media talking about I want about the this. media talking about it. I want them to pick the stories up and let everyone know. If, I, if it's not in my neighborhood, I still want to know about it because it's still affecting all of mm -hmm. us. Yeah, no, I'm glad you guys have brought that up and you have done a good job within certain circles to encourage people, you know, to become like their own newsroom. You know what I mean? I mean, when we have cameras and we can go to those places, I will commit to you that with all of the allied organizations that I'm a part of to push that as a real strategy and to allow you all to help to communicate that to people. Um, I, I, sometimes, particularly if you're a little bit older, maybe we don't think about it mm -hmm. as much, but we need to train our advocates and our activists to think about themselves as a one-person newsroom to be able to capture that information, to provide their commentary, and to push it out in their own social uh, media channels. So thank you for reminding me about that. I don't do it enough, but um, I have seen... Um, not firsthand some of the attack, but I've been by places that have been attacked. And I think the more that we can shine a light on it, it will help people to know just how desperate um, the pro-abortion movement is uh, when they see the handwriting on the wall. Because we do believe, just as Roe has fallen, we do believe that we can make abortion unthinkable, just like slavery has become unthinkable. But it's gonna take all of us doing our part to do it. Absolutely. Okay, so Dean, um, Policy and Pound Cake, we are a podcast about communications. And so we want to um, hear from you. Uh, what are the, we, we love that you said making abortion unthinkable. What have your arguments been like the crystallizing arguments, the communications to make people see that, un, uh, that abortion should be unthinkable? Yeah, that's a good question. There, you know, certainly it depends on the audience, but I will tell you there are primarily three things that I have done in the in my primary audience to to do this. And my primary audience typically is like black church people um, or black people that go to church and who say, oh, you know, abortion is really bad, but a woman should have a right to choose. You know, so one number one is is I try to define what it is is because we talk about abortion people sometimes don't even like to use that word sometimes they will talk about you know ending a pregnancy but it's like okay let's press the issue a little bit what does ending a pregnancy mean what does terminating a pregnancy mean if you are no longer pregnant that means that there is no longer a living breathing entity in your body so i try to define i said listen abortion is the intentional killing of a pre-born human being. Yeah. It is just, there's no way that you can like get around that. It is intentionally, it's not a miscarriage. That's something different. Abortion mm -hmm. is the intentional killing of a pre-born child or pre-born human being. I had this discussion, somebody just, you know, at the airport, this type of things happen to me all the time. They say, oh, what's that on your show? What's that organization? I said, oh, we are an organization that has uh, free services for women and have, you know, in unplanned pregnancies. And he's like, oh, wow said, so you kind of like, not like plan. I said, yeah, we don't do abortion. He said, well, don't you think we should still have a, uh, a woman should have a right to choose? I said, well, a right to choose what? Right. Um, uh, well, <laughs> I mean, she should have a right. I said, well, listen, I don't have a right to kill you today. 
I was like, I might get mad at you, but I don't have a right to do that. He said, well, it's not quite the same. You know, um, we're talking about a small, you know, this is a baby inside the womb. I said, he says, it's not fully developed. I said, well, look, let's just say this was an adult, right? I said, I said, let's go back to five-year-old you. I said, I could call you a, um, uh, an undeveloped adult, right? I mean, you're not an adult. You're five years old. I said, does that mean that you're, because you're not an adult and you're underdeveloped that I should have a right to kill you? No, that doesn't make any sense. I said, so what right do we have to take the life of a child that has a heartbeat at six weeks or at seven weeks? We don't have that as a right. Nobody should have the right to kill. It's just, okay, well, what about, you know, I mean, if that, if, if she didn't really want that child because it, she was, she was raped. I said, look, man, rape is horrible. I said, that is terrible. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's not sugarcoat how bad rape is. I said, now we are, de- we are talking about like less than 1% of mm-hmm. like the abortion cases. And I said, it, you might also want to know that most women right now who are raped, actually most of them carry their children to term. I was like, you know, if you look statistically, so I said, but let's just talk about it. I said, in Texas, a great state that will really punish you, you know, they don't mind sending people to jail in Texas. I said, a person who does the rape probably will get 25 years. I was like, but the child who is perfectly innocent does not get a judge does not get a jury, does not get at, but they are sentenced to death for something that they did not do. As horrible as rape is, I don't think that the solution is to kill the only perfectly innocent person involved in this. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the things that I say to people. And then certainly I try to help people within our community understand, you know, the black community that, you know, there was an agenda to use abortion mm-hmm. and eugenics against us. And I just say, well, well, I don't really believe that. I heard, I said, well, just read the letter that Margaret Sanger wrote in 1939 to Clarence Gamble, where she said, you can read it for yourself. It, she said, we don't want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. I was like, just read that to start for yourself. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I say to try to help people to rethink. And, um, and it, it works. People may not always come all the way, but they're like, uh, okay. You, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but we really have to define what abortion is, mm-hmm. and it is the intentional killing of a preborn human being. It is excellent, Dean. The way you just said that, and how you responded to individuals that come up to you, I'm going to have to use those. I'm going to have to use some of those responses because. <laughs> When it happens, you're I, Dina knows I get so excited or so she's get, she gets very passionate <laughs> about it, and, and I probably and, don't and come her, off and her and her great passion. Sometimes um, she forgets that she actually is a professional communicator because she just gets wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I have well, to remember I, I my say... sitting on my shoulder, and I'm you're giving me those words and be a, be very calm in, in, in my delivery. So and we hope I that try. people listening to this. We'll use some of those as well. So thank you so, so very much for that because that was that was awesome, absolutely awesome. But before we wrap up, Dean, yes, we ma'am. have a really important question. Um, and we asked all of our all of our guests this question. But when you are sitting around with your family, with your kids and your lovely wife, and you guys are talking policy, or you're just with friends and you know, colleagues talking policy, 
What is the what is your favorite cake? What do what do you what is your favorite dessert that you like to have when you're talking policy? Wow. So I will I will start at the top and then I'll give you a little uh, uh, regression or progression because you started out by saying if I'm talking to my wife. So if I'm talking to my wife, it is clearly um, her carrot cake, her homemade carrot cake, her carrot because cake. she makes it better than any restaurant. She makes it better than anybody. Okay. So if I'm talking to her, uh, it is is delicious. So that's number one. Now, if it's another audience and I'm not, you know, just bragging about my wife's um, delicious um, carrot cake, <laughs> I, I will tend to go with a uh, with a, a red velvet cake. Uh, I, I did grow up in the South and I definitely love uh, red velvet. Now, I will say with a little bit of ice cream, mm -hmm. a lemon pound cake is really, really good. So I, I, as you might gather, I do have a sweet tooth. It's true. <laughs> <You need laughs> I, could, <notice. laughs> I could give you a few more, but, and I will say probably of all my desserts, um, my wife's, uh, yeah, her, her, yeah, her carrot cake is probably the best, but second is probably a, um, a delicious blueberry cobbler, um, I like berries. I grew Wait, up. Well, Dean is going on. He said red velvet <laughs> blueberry cobbler. <laughs> you very good. Okay, Dean. You got it all covered, Dean. <laughs> you can tell I've thought about this a little while. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Dean, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And more than anything, we appreciate your strong voice in the, in this movement. Um, Absolutely. You have been doing this for a long time, and it uh, it, it is paying off. You are changing, changing hearts. And certainly mm -hmm. with the Douglas Leadership Institute and the work that your organization does literally across the country, yes. um, building uh, strong, uh, strong communities. We just really appreciate what you do. Absolutely. So round of applause. Round just, of applause. Thank, thank you, you so much. I'd like to last say um, how much I love and appreciate the both of you, because there are very, very few people that are recipients of our Frederick Douglass Award. And you guys are, uh, because that's how highly I think about you and, and how special you guys are. So keep doing what you're doing. Grateful to be a part of your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. <laughs> wow, I didn't realize that Dean has such a sweet tooth. He has a major sweet tooth. I mean, we have like, okay. one dessert. He's got his blueberry pie. pie. His wife's peach, I mean, his wife's, um, uh, the carrot, carrot cake. Then he had the, the, the cobbler. Um, no, what, he didn't say cobbler. He did say cobbler. Oh, did he say cobbler anyway? No, he said red velvet. Okay. Yes. I think he named at least four desserts. Okay. We did not know this about you, Sweet Tooth Dean. Okay. Sweet Tooth Dean. But so. That was a good one. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Pause and Pound Cake. Remember to like, share, and follow. Yes. Okay, that's all.